Hello, Rachel here with a brief, I guess a public service announcement and errata to explain something about the episode that you are about to hear. And if you listen to all of these episodes where we discuss the play scene by scene, you're going to hear this message multiple times. And I apologize for that to. This important information is that there is a method that my co-hosts and I discuss called Original Practice Shakespeare that we have since learned was not original practice to Shakespeare at all. There is zero evidence to suggest that Shakespeare's actors did not rehearse their plays. There is zero evidence to suggest that they always faced the audience at all times. In fact, we know that to be patently false. So I go into this in more depth in the episode of the podcast under that title about what is original practice and Shakespeare and early modern rehearsal and play production methods. I would not by my will have troubled you. But since you make your pleasure of your pains, I will no further chide you. I could not stay behind you. My desire, more sharp than filed steel, did spur me forth. And not all love to see you, though so much as might have drawn one to a longer voyage. But jealousy what might befall your travel, being skillless in these parts, which to a stranger, unguided and unfriended, often prove rough and unhospitable. My willing love, though rather by these arguments of fear, set forth in your pursuit. My kind Antonio, I can no other answer make but thanks. And thanks, and ever thanks, and oft good turns, are shuffled off with such uncurrent pay. But were my worth as is my conscience firm, who should find better dealing? What's to do? Shall we go see the relics of this town? Tomorrow, sir, best first to go see your lodging. I am not weary, and tis long tonight. I pray you, let us satisfy our eyes with the memorials and things of fame that do renown this city. Would you pardon me? I do not without danger walk these streets. Once in a sea fight against the Countess galleys, I did uh, some service of such note indeed that were I taken here, it uh, would scarce be answered. Be like you slew great number of his people. The offense is not of such a bloody nature. Albeit the quality of the time and quarrel might well have given us bloody argument. It might have since been answered in repaying what we took of from them, which, for traffic's sake, most of our city did. Only myself stood out, for which, if I be lapsed in this place, I shall pay dear. Do not then walk too open. It does not fit me. Hold, sir, here's my purse. In the south suburbs at the Elephant is best to lodge. I will bespeak our diet whilst you beguile the time and uh, feed your knowledge with the viewing of the town. There shall you have me. Why are your purse? After your eye shall light upon some toy you have desired to purchase. And your store, I think, uh, is not for idle market, sir. I'll be your purse bearer and leave you for an hour. To the elephant. I do remember. Right, so today I have Bridge. <laughs> <laughs>
red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Okay. <laughs> Today I have Bridget Riley Beauchamp and uh, am I saying that right, Bridget? Close enough. Everybody says it differently. Okay. That's the same with my last name, too, which is mm -hmm. Rachel Onstad. And mm -hmm. we have John Bean. And I'll bet everybody always says your name correctly, huh, John? Well, yeah. yeah pretty much. <laughs> we could call you John Beanie, I guess. Or, I've got or John, all that one. John yeah. Beanie. John Beanie. There you go. <laughs> And we are coming back from a look at Act 3, Scene 3. And here we have one of my very favorite characters in the play, Antonio. And a character that I admit to uh, not being the most uh, affectionate towards, which is Sebastian. And Sebastian's okay, don't get me wrong. Sebastian's doing the best he can with what he has. But I just, I have such a soft spot for Antonio. Mm. And so at the beginning of the scene, uh, Sebastian is trying to convince uh, Antonio that basically he's giving him the, it's not you, it's me speech. I'm no good for you. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Antonio is having none of it you know he's uh, basically i'll follow you to the ends of the earth and then antonio has to reveal that when he was being a pirate and doing pirate things that he took some of count arsino's possessions and did not give them back and because of this it's not safe for him to walk about the town and be seen publicly and so then he says, uh, here's Sebastian, um, you know, go, go have a good time. Here's some money. Go buy yourself something you like, and I'll meet you at the elephant. So uh, Sebastian says, yeah, sounds great. And they go their separate ways. Hmm. So it, it's kind of a short, sweet little scene, but... I think it tells us an awful lot about their relationship and each one's individual character. How did you go about, like, what kind of note did you feel that you needed to hit here in terms of, like, their feelings for each other? Is that something that you found that you, you or your actors expressed through uh, staging, you know, body posture and all of that. How did that work out for you folks? <laughs> well, again, you know, I feel like a broken record, but we don't direct. Um, well, that's what I'm asking. I'm saying so, what, what choices um, did your actors make? Well, our Antonio was actually played by a woman who played him as a man. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> the running joke amongst the the women of the cast was we all wanted to go home with Antonio <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Tanya did such a marvelous job of just making him this very uh, virile, um, planted kind of character. Um, so I don't know that, I don't know how much the two of them discussed um, the relationship that Antonio and Sebastian had, mm -hmm. but Tanya certainly played it as though she were a man in love with a man. Mm -hmm. um, and um, was just, I mean, 
really very attractive. Yes. <laughs> very compelling. Yeah. We had, uh, you know, when I did my all-female production, it, it was all women. And the woman who played Antonio played in drag, played him as a man. And we made sure, you know, who was playing what gender. It was really simple. We just gave people cod pieces. It was hmm. great. It was very <laughs> simple, direct. <laughs> See, there's another problem with Zoom productions. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I think we'll get there. I think we'll get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, we all fell in love with her, Antonio, as well. She just played him so kind of earnest and debonair and giving, you know, Antonio mm -hmm. is just so generous and loyal mm -hmm. that it, it's an interesting juxtaposition because Antonio is meant to be a villain in productions at the time, early modern productions, that name indicated a villain of some kind. And so to the fact that Shakespeare kind of turned that around to make the villain really the embodiment of pure love, the only <laughs> embodiment of pure love in a way in the play, mm -hmm. I think is is really an interesting trick. I mean, I, I don't mean trick, uh, twist. It's mm -hmm. an interesting twist. And I, I want to be clear, Bridget, that just because we direct people in a play that doesn't mean that the actors walk around like little automatons. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm, what I'm saying you know, is, no, no, no. They what make I'm, their choices. What I'm saying is that part of the original practices ethos mm -hmm. is that, that there is no singular guiding vision. Right. So that there isn't, it's not, it's not like, I sat down and had conversations in depth with each individual actor about their mm -hmm. motivation. Well, first of all, there's also the, there was, you know, Stanislavski didn't exist yet. So it, it is very much play the text. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, so there isn't, I don't have the kind of understanding about what the other actors may have been thinking than I would in a more traditional production because I was just frantically trying to memorize Olivia's lines. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I think it's, I think pretty much most people would agree that somewhere in between knowing nothing mm -hmm. about what an actor is thinking and a Stanislavski method is a mm -hmm. whole range of mm -hmm. interaction, collaboration, mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. And certainly... I think that Shakespeare lends itself to handing a script to an actor and saying, if you have any questions, I'm here for you. And I think a good director, no matter what they're directing or what method they're using, mm -hmm. is helping the actor to come out with that that vision that they hold themselves. Because if it's not authentic to the actor, if the actor can't mm -hmm. believe in it, then no, nobody else is going to believe in it either. So, mm -hmm. well, and remember, we don't rehearse. I, I get that. First time I saw Tanya's Antonio was the first mm -hmm. night of the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, there's also like in terms of improv, there's a continuum, right? There's mm -hmm. total pure improv, 
there's improv with a script, which is what you're doing. There's more scripted and blocked and rehearsed where improv gets kind of mixed in. It's understood. It's accepted. And then, there, of course, there's like, nope, it's got to be this way every night, exactly the same, dot, 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 dot. And Interesting. I, I think like depending on the play, you're going to have more or less success depending on what your goal is. So, and who is your cast? Mm -hmm. Does your cast come to you feeling self-confident, not enjoying flying by the seat of their pants? Are mm -hmm. they improv actors? And mm -hmm. not everybody is. Not everybody wants to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think for us as directors, it's just a constant adventure pulling people into our company, finding a place for them, helping them to shine their brightest and letting them rip because the less that we have to do anything, <laughs> the happier everyone is. <laughs> hey, can I ask how, um, you know, when you do original practices and performance, how does mm -hmm. the audience react? Like it differs from, um, how did you do right. find they took it? Well, we're very upfront with our audience. You know, we do a pre-show speech where we explain sort of the basics of original practices and that um, that we've never rehearsed the show, that we gather to do all kinds of ensemble building activities and that they will be calling for line and we introduce our prompter mm -hmm. and explain how that works. And people really get into it. Um, you know, and again, you know, we're doing free Shakespeare in the park, so nobody's there that doesn't want to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> um and it's very the the audience really and a part of what we do also is is acting to the audience as much as possible mm -hmm. addressing the treating the audience like another character um so and you very quickly get a sense of which members of the audience are comfortable with playing and which members of the audience are like no i'm i'm sitting at the back of the hill for a reason <laughs> yes yeah. and that's all fine throw your 20 dollars in the bucket at the end of the night we're happy mm -hmm. um <laughs> you get 20 bucks that's awesome man well some people some people have been very generous um nice. yeah um, so it's and and again because we're outside because it's original practices uh, there is a great deal of interaction. You know, I have actors who will sit down on a picnic blanket and start eating somebody's dinner, yeah. you know, while yeah. they're while they're doing their thing, um, which is always a good time. So it's very much um, the, the audience very much understands sort of the unspoken contract there mm -hmm. yeah. and really enters into the spirit mm -hmm. of the thing. So, um, so for you, and, though, if you, if you performed in both of them. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you up. No, that's fine. That's fine. Well, um, what? any tangible difference in the reaction from the audience or the connection that you felt with I, performing in like, say a, a directed, you know, fully yes. Yes. rehearsed Shakespeare. Or is, could you, it's palpable. Mm -hmm. You can tell that. Yeah. And part, you know, again, part of it is that when we start the show, it, the sun hasn't set yet. So you can really see it's very, we always joke that it's almost like we're doing two different shows before and after mm -hmm. intermission, because by the time we come back after intermission, it's dark mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's harder yeah. to see people. Um, but there, I'm sorry, I have to move so the dog can get out. Come on, Mooks. Um, but the um, puppy. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she just got bored of being in here. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> she's like, I'm not offended much. 
No. Um, <laughs> you can direct address is used not only to treat the audience as another character, but you can direct the lines that you are addressing to your scene partner out to the audience, almost like they're a mirror mm-hmm. so that you're bouncing the lines off of that person. And they're, then they're sort of sending it to your scene partner, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you're, you're making direct eye contact with a single person and talking directly to them. It's not the, I stand on the stage and I address the whole audience. It's the, I look at you and I tell you how in love I am with this boy. Right. Um, so it, 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 it absolutely makes it very immediate. It makes it very much about thinking about that precise moment because you have to communicate that moment to that person. Um, and so it really, it, I'll be honest, it's completely changed the way I direct. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's completely changed the way I stage things um, and how I expect it, across the board with everything I direct now, I'm always like, talk to the audience. Mm-hmm. I direct almost everything um, either in the round or in three quarter. I'm very much about showing the the bits and bobs that make it happen. We don't try to hide the stagecraft. It's very much about talking to, you know, bringing the people into the experience. When we did the Penelope ad with this Night Witches cast that John was so kind mm. to come see, we stripped everything back. I mean, it's set in ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. We could have gone all Keton and Ionic Colony, but we didn't. It was scaffolding and raw wood and rehearsal clothes. And we expected the audience to dress it in their minds. Mm. And the actors spent a great deal of time entering and exiting directly through the audience, talking directly to audience members. It's sort of like the, the geometric next level of, you know, the, the quality of theater in the first place, that idea of a, of a living thing happening right there, right before mm-hmm. you. And it's that mm-hmm. kind of next mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. my, my inner actor is incredibly interested mm-hmm. in this. Uh, mm-hmm. And my inner director is slightly terrified. <laughs> well, no, because you're, <laughs> you are adding an uncontrollable element. Yeah. Because you don't know who's going to be in your audience. Well, and I tend to be visual too. Uh, mm. uh, for, you know, and I, I get into that auteur kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm constantly kind of sculpting for like a coup de theater sort of you yeah. Know, major. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Day yeah. sex mac anything or something so yeah. it's yeah i forget the actors are there sometimes i'll be honest <laughs> <laughs> the scenery was lovely until the actors got in front of it yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it sounds really really interesting yeah yeah really it's great. it's i i definitely see the role of a director and not everybody has this this belief but i don't I don't believe that it's that I am bringing a vision that then everybody else is expected to realize. I really see my job as the director to take the gifts and the talents that the designers, the actors, Mm -hmm. the audience are bringing to the table and finding a way to make those things work together. And I think that's very good advice, regardless of what kind of theater that you're doing. And that kind of old idea of that the director has some sort of overarching vision and everybody else is just like a little pawn in it. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Like I don't see that happening very often, and when it does, it's almost always terrible. Unless you have like <laughs> pots and pots of money to pay people to do exactly what you want, it's it's not even possible. And it, I don't think it's really even fun. I don't think it's as fun as mm-hmm. the kind of magic and collaboration. Well, I think there's also the, from your, the, a, a from distinction. Your mm-hmm. Like it's you know the I think the power of ensemble is it's the most uh, potent creative magic that we have in theater. You know, mm-hmm. and so I for, I've always worked for an ensemble base that is I'm totally vested in there. I'm and convinced mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that power, but um, it's uh, to create these you know like I said Deus Ex Machina or something these mm-hmm. kind of like builds and all that. It's it, that's the the you know if you're doing this thing live original practices that like that it's you've got to get to he's got to come down on the pulley for the mountain mm-hmm. that you've got to get to these major mm-hmm. technical or right. you know these kind of moments I, I it would probably mm-hmm. serve towards a certain type of script a bit more um, I would and it well it also it's very non-technical you know we put yeah. we put four chairs on the stage the stage that we work on is Basically, it's like decking with a roof that is exists at this mm-hmm. um, art center that we work in collaboration with. And that's it. It's four chairs. It's a couple of staircases so people can get onto the stage. Last year, we threw a couple of um, panels of white fabric up at the back of the stage. And that's it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's very any props that an actor needs, they create for themselves any costumes they create for themselves. We might decide, oh, we're going to set this in like, like when we did Much Ado, we sort of set it in a very like Kennedy-esque, Hyannisport-y kind of, um, Mm. like that was the vibe. So it was very like summer cocktail, but that's That's it. That's all the, that's all the information. That's all the, the set. That's all, that's it. It's so it's, it's very much about building the world with the words. Mm Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And, and <laughs> I will say that as somebody with an MFA in set design, <laughs> oh, <there she laughs> costumes and lighting and props and scenography, not everybody get the story mm-hmm. without visuals. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in Not you, Audie. We, 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 we believe in you. <laughs> well, but I paint, I paint a picture in my podcast productions i use sound effects and everything else things that you would not use in kind of a more bare bones production mm-hmm. i am all about giving the audience every possible cue that i can in order for them to understand the words because unfortunately most people including me certainly when i started following shakespeare don't know what the hell people are talking about And so my focus has been, how can I make this so the audience feels like they're in on it? I don't ever want an audience to feel like we're all getting a joke that they aren't. And so I will do whatever it takes, including saying to the actor something like, can you pantomime a bow here where you're talking about shooting a bow? Because to my mind, when we're listening, when we're comprehending what people are saying, if somebody says, well, I went to the Burton Schnucks store and I picked up some flip-flops, 
Hmm. Okay, we don't know what Berberschnocks is, but we heard that they're going there and they're picking up some flip-flops. So that gives us something to try and figure out what Berberschnocks is. Berberschnocks is probably, it could be a shoe store, it could be a, a supermarket, but we at least have a little thing. And then when Berberschnocks comes up later and says, oh yeah, they have the most beautiful boots at Berberschnocks, then we're like, okay, they have shoes there. And so gradually our brain builds a vocabulary out of these associations, this sort of um, frogger approach to getting from lily pad to lily pad and jumping over the ones that you don't know what they mean, but still kind of inferring at least what they are, you know, and you gradually fill that in with detail. So in Shakespeare's time, all somebody had to do was point upwards, and everybody in Shakespeare's audience would have known that they're referring to the heavens, that they're referring to God, that they're referring to the Welkin, the, the immutable above that both watches us and may subtly control our actions or not. And our audiences don't have that. The closest thing we have to that is memes. <laughs> so when you see a meme that has ceiling cat in it and ceiling cat is watching you, that brings up a whole set of associations for people familiar with that meme, very similar to when a Shakespearean actor points at the sky and says, shall we make the Welkin dance? So I feel like Shakespeare needs to be produced in all of these ways, because all of us have different ways of perceiving, of understanding. There's people who are going to go to Bridget's beautiful, stripped down, very raw, very real, very present production, and it's going to hit them like a ton of bricks. They're going to go, oh, this is everything. I finally understand Shakespeare. And other people are going to go to mine that are practically you know, cartoons <laughs> with brightly colored sets and tons of lighting and pantomime and uh, well, almost I'm gonna go see things. Every possible <laughs> thing. This is good. Let you me know? see this stuff. And they will go possibly see one of my productions and go, oh, finally, I understand Twelfth Night. So we have to do it all. We have to produce it all. And we have to learn from each other and do everything we can because that's what keeps this work alive, right? It's not one person going, oh, everybody must do it this way for it to communicate. Well, and, and the bedrock here is the text. You know, that's that's Absolutely. that that's great thing mm -hmm. about what mm -hmm. you're talking about with these this approach is that and of the day, if that's your authority, you're in the right boat. You know? That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And it's like this. Uh, it's like the North Star for us. It's yeah. always there. We can always hold on to it. We can always win or lose an argument based on what's in there. And thank goodness, because it's nice to have something solid in this uh, in this wacky world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, but we'll get back to Sebastian and Antonio here. So, yeah. um, a diversion. But I, I, that was a discussion I wanted to have in this. No, podcast, and it's, it's and great. I'm so know? glad we did. Yeah. This is a, also it's an interesting moment, uh, you know, talking about these kind of values, you know, in production, um, with this scene in particular, um, 
where it's, it's one of these, you know, few moments that's sort of the third locale, not inside the house, outside, or, mm-hmm. you know, not at the mm-hmm. house, not at the tower, you know, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden on the street or we're in the city or something, or mm-hmm. the Globe productions, you know, that I've seen re- redone, they, it, this usually tends to come out onto that the on front, the proscenium you know, there mm-hmm. on the thrust mm-hmm. there yeah. on the thrust back and yeah. forth yeah exactly and you don't see a whole lot of this actually getting represented uh usually in its full visual you know yeah power unless mm-hmm. it's a film you know version like that yeah but it, it's weird because it's the um if i'm correct it's this first time that we we do have a sense of well although we had it with uh malvolio and uh the ring mm-hmm. but um it's a continuation then of that 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 there's other people here you know, or the, like, cause we really get isolated in this play. And mm. it's, mm-hmm. so we get the sense of like the city. Do you guys ever represent anyone else here besides what's going on? Nah. We don't have extra people. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I feel like it's such an intimate moment. Yeah. Between mm-hmm. the two of them that, and it's kind of a quiet moment. And so I don't want to distract from the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really delicate here. Uh, mm-hmm. Sebastian's trying to break up with them, but at the end of it, yeah. he's Antonio's getting laid again. So it, it does have some of the more the fresher in terms of like being fresh with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got, I know the actors uh, tend to love some of these. Uh, Antonio's got this there, you shall have me. And, and mm-hmm. you know, there's some of those like, whoa, that was just a, a you know, slightly more, <laughs> more uh, gravy on the word there that I would have anticipated, you know? Mm-hmm. What I, what I love and what I think is really on display in this scene is how Shakespeare really does build an image in our mind of who these characters are. Uh, John, would you give me Antonio's first line and, and put as much a uh, sexy pirate in it as you dare? <laughs> That's right. Let me just pull that out. You got it, man. Um, I could not stay behind you. My desire more sharp than filed steel did spur me forth. And not all love to see you, though so much as might have drawn one to a longer voyage, but jealousy what might befall your travel, being skillless in these parts, which to a stranger unguided and unfriended often prove rough and unhospitable. My willing love, though rather by these arguments of fear set forth in your pursuit. Ah. Uh. Isn't mm-hmm. that just this? I mean, we can see him. He's with his sword or dagger, whatever he's got there, uh, more sharp than filed steel. My desire more sharp than filed steel. I mean, oh, it just gives me chills, even when I do my <laughs> crappy reading to myself. No, um, and then the language did spur me forth. Um, and unguided and unfriended often prove rough and unhospitable it's uh, interesting because it's the setup here of kind of the big dramatic question here which mm-hmm. is the safety he's talking about kind of protecting mm-hmm. uh sebastian at the same time has the realization of his own danger you know so i mean i've heard some arguments in this scene before about like why does he let him go into the city <laughs> if it's so dangerous and horrible and obviously you wow. know the answer is because he himself is in trouble and in peril there but um yeah you get the sense that that sense of of that there's there's um things lurking around the corners you know Mm. well and sebastian's a grown man he can't 
stop him. <laughs> Bridget right. just made the cutest face like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I hear you, Bridget. I hear you. <laughs> but uh, according to appearances and the customs at the time, Sebastian would have been adult. If he's old enough to marry, then he's certainly old enough to walk about the town. So I think that Antonio is expressing that concern when we love somebody, regardless of what kind of love that is, and they're going into a new situation and you can't go with them and you want to. And I, I think that parents experience this on a regular basis, almost daily. Oh, is it okay? Should they go over to so-and-so's? Is it all right? Blah, blah, blah. I can't go with Should them. I send them to Boston for college in an epidemic? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> For example, right. just, just hypothetically, just hypothetically, right. just oh hypothetically, should I encourage my daughter to move to Hollywood? Well, <laughs> I guess <Man>. so. <laughs> I guess so. Um, and sometimes we love each other so much, and yet we cannot be there for each other all the time. And Antonio clearly recognizes that Sebastian has things he has to do without Antonio. And uh, this is Antonio's fault to a large degree because Antonio is the one who stole stuff from Orsino and behaved recklessly in the past, now asking Sebastian not to be reckless. Um, the, the fact that he gives Sebastian his purse yeah. is weird with that, right? interesting. <laughs> and it's a cheap plot device. <laughs> we yeah. need it later in the plot yeah. um, all that said I think it still says something about the trust that Antonio feels for Sebastian something else that I think again is important to bring up is that during this time period people thought it was extremely unlucky and still do in some places of the world even today people thought it was extremely unlucky to rescue a drowning victim Antonio is showing far more trust in Sebastian than is warranted under the situation. And it just proves how much he loves him, <laughs> that he's willing to risk everything. And he does for his love. And I also want to reiterate that at the time, homosexual identity is not what it is now. Nobody would have identified themselves based on who they made love to, who they felt romantic to, or anything like that. And nobody at the time would have thought it peculiar that Antonio and Sebastian were sharing a room at the Elephant. Uh, the interesting thing about the Elephant is that it was a real place. And so it's sort of like a shout out to your local bar or inn or whatever. And afterwards, everybody in the audience might have gone to the Elephant for drinks or whatever after the show. A little spawn con. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm fascinated by finding the word suburbs in here, where uh, Antonio says, it doth not fit me, hold, sir, hold, sir. Here's my purse in the south suburbs at the Elephant. So that's really fascinating. But I think for the most part that most people even just reading the scene without hearing it performed, understand what this is about. This is about 
two people who have complicated feelings towards each other in a new situation, trying to figure out what their next step in the relationship is. <laughs> and I think quite romantic true. of Antonio, you know, there is that kind of, like you say, increasing sort of, it's like almost a desperation or something, you know, mm -hmm. in him is he's that puppy dog thing, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, you and me's pals, right? Right. We're going right. to go. <laughs> and then as he's imagine how much inner, you know, it reminds me of being a, goofy love swept teenager when you know we would do these huge like oh just we were horrible just poetic mm -hmm. gestures grippy mm -hmm. just sonic like we would just write this like i mean liquid stuff but uh as he's getting closer into the city with him and following him do you do you want this can i help you with this <laughs> i'm gonna keep following you he's also getting more and more in danger every step yeah you know and it, as this scene goes along he it gets to that step where he's like okay this is the step where i'm gonna die you know, right. like, mm -hmm. I should let you know. And it's that that tack change in the moment with Sebastian where he unveils and uh, re releases that information to him. And Sebastian really just like the the bell uh, at the ball, the capped girl, the like, the, is, there's always been like that little bit of the, the, the person. So what do you, what interesting things should we do today? And right. you know, should we go dancing? Should we do this? Should we do that? And until he gets to... Um, well, and it's like I'm sad. I'm or I'm I'm tired. Uh, it's hungry. Um, let's go get some food. Mm -hmm. Let's go uh, travel around. Let's do a thing. And he's he's got to reveal this truth to him about his history. And that's kind of almost the moment where it becomes less circumstantial for Sebastian, and he's more interested in the actual. Now he's you know direct with Antonio. Oh, tell me about that. You know, mm -hmm. that's interesting. Now we've got something that Sebastian's interested in. And then, uh, where he says, "Be like you slew great number of his people." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, oh yeah, yeah. And then you know, just the whole story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I shall pay dear. And then with the, you know, and, and the verse like vibe here is really interesting too. We do have it's you know different than normal prose, different than the regular kind of more flowery kind of verse though that we get into like with Dorsino and that kind of thing. There's a meter here mm -hmm. that's happening. They finish each other's lines like all all the scenes of lovers. Um, Antonio says, I shall pay dear Sebastian finishes, do not then walk too open. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so there's a meter here, but it's not really set up like normal poetic verse. And it's not like, mm -hmm. the, it's not a constant on the mm -hmm. meter. And it's not, um, it doesn't have a, the effect is not necessarily poetic in the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. Really, it's really it's it's almost got a masculine quality to it, like you mm -hmm. said, with the the thrusts and the steels and the struts and the you know those kinds of things. But we don't have those these thighs, those those oh's, my loves, and you and, know. You know, you look at all of Antonio's words and danger, sea fight, galleys, scarce be answered, offense, bloody nature, time and quarrel, bloody argument. I shall pay dear. Like everything is so intense. Antonio is one intense human <laughs> being. I feel like he just, he's obviously carrying the energy in this scene. Sebastian's pretty much just reacting off of Antonio the yeah. whole time, mm -hmm. even though Sebastian is desperately trying to get control of his life here. 
He's yeah. it's like, dude, I've got some things to think about. Can you just tone it down for a minute? <laughs> I was in a shipwreck. I think my sister's dead. I, I, I in a strange city. I don't know what the fuck's going on. And here's Antonio going, Well, by the way, I'm a pirate. Bloody argument, danger, <laughs> desire sharper than steel. And you Sebastian's want, you like you want some money, a little more. <laughs> Sebastian's like, uh, I just wanted to get a pastry. <laughs> <laughs> The Monty Pythoning of uh, Twelve Night. We should do that. <laughs> oh man! Well, and that w- wonderful moment of redemption you know, as, it, as it goes along too with Antonio. Again, that kind of puppy dog thing in the beginning, and then the big realization, and then which well, I don't know. Depending on your read on it, provokes a bit of interest actually from Sebastian, kind of mm-hmm. maybe bringing him out of his own thing. The do not then watch to open, finishing each other's line. I shall pay dear do not then walk to open. My favorite from Antonio in this scene, it doth not fit me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, uh, it's just a stylish freaking moment for me. It's like that, you know, equivalent of when, uh, what is it? Uh, Magnificent Seven, Yul Brenner. They're mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, where are you coming from? Points behind him. Where are you going? Points ahead. You know, it's just that cowboy, John Wayne kind of stuff. I love that. Yeah, kind of a almost a Popeye I am what I am kind of a moment. (laughs) And then like after Sebastian suddenly seems more, I think you're right. Seems more interested in Antonio now that he knows he has this kind of exciting, dangerous past and starts to show some concern for Antonio. Then Antonio's language changes so abruptly. It doth not fit me. Hold, Mm -hmm. sir. So, and then he's talking about purse, suburbs, elephant, lodge, diet, feed your knowledge, um, view the town, there shall you have me. He's setting up house. He went from presenting this sort of very dashing, dangerous representation of himself to being, yeah, and then we'll, then we'll hang out at the elephant and we'll, we'll have a good time. Goes from this sort of wild pirate of the seas to uh, very domesticated yeah and that's a great point handing I mean, we, we, over his we, money <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean that's practically in a sense that's a kind of marriage when you're cohabitating and sharing yeah. your money and not in, that sebastian knows any of this is really happening or no <laughs> but as far as Antonio's concerned less because yeah. we look at this scene and then, I mean, we're going right into the kind of the betrayal next time that we see him or the, mm-hmm. the, the twist, we'll say, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is, so it's, they meet, as far as Antonio is concerned, they set up house and now we've set up the the massive mm-hmm. chaos that we shan't uh, ruin for you. But uh, so yeah, yeah it, we got to We got to get, we got to consummate this thing in this scene. We got to get this uh, done. Mm-hmm. We got to get ready for the next act. Man. That's what happens when you're the C plot. Yeah. <laughs> C plot. Ah. Ah. But um, Tish. All right. I think I'm going to end right there. Nice. <laughs> nice. Right on. That's good. And uh, in the next scene, which will take place in Olivia's garden, all the chickens come home to roost. And uh, there's always some scene in Act Three that. There's too much crammed in <laughs> that could theoretically be broken down into 
two, three, in this case, I think four separate scenes, quite honestly. And we're going to have friend uh, Cha Ramos back to discuss some of the finer points of Mm -hmm. uh, dueling and combat etiquette during Shakespeare's time. And I'm really looking forward to this scene. I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Mm -hmm. 